this is Sophie Wilson, and you are listening to the Slow Boat Sailing Podcast. Support the Slow Boat Sailing Podcast on patreon.com slash slowboatsailing. Hi, this is Linus Wilson. Welcome to the Slow Boat Sailing Podcast, episode 30. Our guests are the crew of Resolute Set Sail and their wonderful YouTube channel, and as a beginning intro, I'm going to give you a free sample, the, the introductory chapter of my audio recording of Navigation Rules, the toughest part of the captain's or merchant mariner licensing examinations. And at, uh, at about $9.99 on CD Baby, the price cannot be beat. If you're going to take a professional course, you're going to pay in the hundreds, if not thousands, so you can learn this material. Uh, but hopefully this will reduce the cost of uh, obtaining a Merchant Mariner license for many of you. The slow boat and crew are currently motoring about 200 miles southwest of the Galapagos Islands. We're in a calm that was not forecast, and I'll probably be uploading this after the trip is over uh, and probably will give you an update on how the trip went in episode 31. You are listening to an abridged version of the Navigation Rules International and Inland put out by the U.S. Coast Guard read by Linus Wilson. This abridged audio recording was made in 2016. Copyright Linus Wilson, Ox River Publishing, Lafayette, Louisiana, a division of Vermilion Advisory Services. This audio recording is primarily aimed at potential merchant mariners seeking a credential from the U.S. Coast Guard. In my conversations with Coast Guard officials in the National Maritime Center, they find that students struggle the most with the rules of the road examination. And that is not surprising because it tends to have the highest pass rate. For example, on the OUPV six-pack captain or charter boat captain certification, the other three exams have a 70% pass rate, but you need to get 90% of the 50 questions right on the rules of the road section of the exam to earn your license. Thus, when measured by failure rates, this section of the exam is one of the toughest parts of any merchant mariner certification. To have a high probability of passing this exam you must know the navigation rules international and inland cold and most of the questions are taken straight out of this text whether you're paying between 600 to several thousand dollars for an online or in-person course or whether you have bought a book that purports to prepare you for the captains or other merchant mariner exams there is no substitute for actually reading the navigation rules, or in this case, listening to them. The schools and the cram courses will give you very general rules of thumb to try to get you to understand the different 
lights and shapes and whistle sounds and uh, maybe some of the passing rules. But merely knowing these mnemonic devices is not enough to pass. Even if you knew the material cold and you expect to get 95% or 94% only missing three questions out of 50, a few bad questions could mean that you're failing the exam and having to retake it. The rules of the road or navigation rules exam is not an exam you can bluff your way through. So if you understand 80% of the rules, odds are you will fail the exam. You won't get lucky even in three tries. So you can memorize mnemonics such as white over white, short toe in sight, white, 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 long toe in sight, red over green, sailing machine, red over white, fishing at night, green over white, trawling at night, red over red, the captain is dead, red, white, red, rudder might be dead, three reds in a toe, no room below, and white over red, pilot ahead. But knowing all those mnemonics cold will probably only get you around 80%. Knowing the rules themselves cold can get you 100%. Any potential captain or merchant mariner that wants to pass the navigation rules section or the rules of the road section of a Coast Guard certification exam, whether by studying uh, Charlie Wing's great book or enrolling in one of the great Coast Guard approved courses out there will benefit from an audio version of the navigation rules because the questions that you read will be familiar to you in the test because you know the navigation rules for which they were taken from. You do not have to memorize the section or the number of the rules but you do need to know what they say and what they mean. I have taken the Coast Guard exams and I know what questions they ask from the navigation rules. And so in this abridged recording, I have only included the sections of the navigation rules, international and inland, that I have seen come up on the tests. In particular, most questions will come from Part B, Steering and Sailing Rules, Part C, Lights and Shapes, Part D, Sound and Light Signals. In this recording, I've read the entirety of Parts A, B, C, and D, and selections from Part E and the Annexes. In particular, I have selected portions of the Annexes where I have seen questions asked. Outside of courses that cost hundreds to thousands of dollars, I have seen no audio recordings of navigation rules or no study materials for the rules of the road exam in recorded audio form. That's the reason why I created this recording. Had I found them, I would have bought them.
The only audio recording of NAV rules that I could find was made by my fellow sailor and fellow sailing podcaster Franz Amundsen about the ASA, the American Sailing Association 101 through 104 curriculum. But as he says in those recordings, it is not at all sufficient for a captain's exam or other merchant mariner exam administered by the U.S. Coast Guard. As someone who has earned those American Sailing Association certifications and also taken the Coast Guard exams, I would say that the rules of the road portion of the American Sailing Association tests is about 3% of what you need to pass the exam. So maybe you'll get so maybe you'll get one, two, or three questions covering material that you might have learned in either his audio lectures or taking a course from the American Sailing Association. Moreover, in particular, the lights and whistle sounds in navigation rules are very complex and are outside, at least of my experience, on the water. Most pleasure boaters are going to spend their time in waters not frequented by commercial shipping and fishing vessels. Unfortunately, most of the questions on the Merchant Mariner exam cover the lights and sounds that ships, fishing vessels, and other vessels of more exotic natures have to display or sound. If you built your hundreds of days at sea on a merchant vessel or a ship, odds are you did not spend most of your time on lookout looking at the lights and shapes on other ships, but were engaged in other activities. And so the rules of the road probably are not even intuitive to professional mariners seeking a new credential. I would say most potential merchant mariners or current merchant mariners are more men and women of action than study and you don't have a lot of time nor patience to sit reading the rules of the road over and over again and taking lots of notes. Instead you are out on the water, you're working with your hands, you are driving to and from the store and your kids school and your work the only way that you'll be able to spend a lot of time reading navigation rules is if it was read to you in audio format and that is what i'm trying to provide here for a very low price relative to the merchant mariner or captain's exam schools out there. I've been a professional educator for almost two decades. I have taught students from grades kindergarten through high school and college. I've taught MBA students and PhD students. I think the auditory component of education is very important and that is why you see classroom instruction over 
self-study in so many educational contexts. We have to hear things, not just read and study things to learn them well. And you need to know the navigation rules very well to earn your merchant mariner credential or captain's license. A thorough understanding of the navigation rules is not just important for getting a credential, but it's also important for the safety of you and your other crew members and passengers. Navigation rules is the only portion of the exam. That is, the rules of the road exam is the only portion of the OUPV exam which you are not allowed to use testing materials with, that it must all be from memory. And the reason why the National Maritime Center of the U.S. Coast Guard does that is because they think that these situations come up quickly and they can have devastating impact. When I was crossing the Gulf Stream for the first time at night in my 31-foot sailboat, in my book, Slow Boat to the Bahamas, I misinterpreted the red lights on a ship crossing the Gulf Stream and nearly created a collision. Had I understood navigation rules at that time, I wouldn't have gotten so close to that boat and accidentally crossed its bow. I would have known that a red light does not necessarily mean that you are seeing the port side of a ship or a fishing vessel. It was only my illuminating my sails and that ship turning on its lights and our VHF communications that prevented a closer quarter situation than we had or a devastating collision. The NAV rules need to be known to save lives. This audio recording should not be seen as a substitute for having a paper or electronic copy of the rules, which is a requirement for boats over 12 meters. This recording is as is and may contain errors or omissions, and by listening to it, you certify that you hold me, Oxford River Publishing, Vermilion Advisory Services, harmless for any errors, omissions, misstatements, etc. If you do not agree to those terms, please stop listening to the audio recording. We make no guarantees about the effectiveness of listening to this recording, nor the accuracy of anything herein. If you were one of the 200,000 merchant mariners that the National Maritime Center of the U.S. Coast Guard serves every year, or if you're one of the millions of boaters in the United States, I think you may benefit from this recording. And since it covers the coal regs or international regulations, it may be of interest to boaters from around the world. If you enjoyed this recording, you might like my book, Slow Boat to the Bahamas and How to Sail Around the World, available in paperback and Kindle form on Amazon. You may also enjoy my Slow Boat Sailing podcast or 
the audio album version of How to Sail Around the World Part-Time, available on iTunes. Jana Wilson is practicing the violin at the beginning and end of this recording. The song is Gavote by F.J. Gossick. The final note is that I read the navigation rules international and inland, and they are presented with first the international wording and then the inland wording. So if it sounds like I am repeating the regulations, I am, because the international and inland versions for the most part are identical. I have followed the presentation of the U.S. Coast Guard because I think that it helps you learn the material by having it repeated and it also helps you to know the key differences between the international and inland rules. So each section of the coal regs and inland rules will line up with one another and so each small section will repeat between international and inland. Thank you for listening. Here's Eric and Megan from the YouTube channel and boat Resolute Set Sail. Yeah, Eric Bachman. Megan Draft. I was looking at your videos and I was trying to see where you went from Mexico to Alaska and I couldn't find it. <laughs> I, I think it, yeah, it okay. might be a surprise to some people that you're in Alaska. Uh, I, I, I think so. Yeah, we, we're pretty backlogged on our videos. So I think we last left everybody on the videos in La Cruz in the Puerto Vallarta, Banderas Bay area there in Mexico. Yeah, we're a little behind. Okay, so I'm not very good with Mexican geography. Where is Puerto Vallarta? So as you're leaving, as you're heading south in the Sea of Cortez, and there's Bahamas left. Mm-hmm. Keep going south, and it where Mexico makes this like elbow and starts heading really far east. Pretty much right by that elbow is the Banderas Bay, the area. So yeah, I was kind of assuming when I saw your channel uh, before we talked that you know you're probably going to sail the South Pacific this summer or something like that. Where did you go after you went to Puerto Vallarta, or do you not want to let that out? Oh, no, we're, we're fine, yeah. Um, we went from Puerto Vallarta to Hawaii, and then from Hawaii uh, up here to Alaska. Oh, okay, that's that's a lot of, lot of time in the big ocean. <laughs> it is. I think it's about two months of ocean sailing without seeing land so it was kind of an ambitious goal that we weren't sure if we were going to be able to pull off in in one season but it worked out <laughs> yeah in, a, in about the last four months i think we spent two of those months at yeah wow okay so do the trade winds blow pretty well from puerto Vallarta to hawaii or not so much um 
it was kind of a funky start to the season, I think, because there was, like, El Nino the year before, and so all the wins were a little off. So we had we were kind of becalmed for about the first week, and then we had some pretty steady wins, but uh, a real horrible cross swell from some storms in the north, so it was just kind of sloppy sailing. And then what we weren't expecting to happen was right about when we were a couple hundred miles off Hawaii, the wind died again, <laughs> which is really pretty unheard of. I mean, the trades are normally pretty steady out there by Hawaii. And so we sat for, I want to say at least 24 hours, just sitting there a hundred miles or so from, from the big Island and uh, wishing that the trades were in. So you guys are originally from San Francisco. Is that right? No, we actually are from, well, Eric was born and raised here in Fairbanks, Alaska. Um, and I spent the past uh, five years before we started the whole kind of adventure uh, in Fairbanks, Alaska. Okay, so you're both native Alaskans, but you had a boat in San Francisco, is that right? Yeah, so we we um, we left Alaska, um, quit our jobs, and kind of had this idea of going on an adventure. And we found ourselves first driving across the entire U.S. Uh, to Florida and then back to California from Alaska. And then when we were in San Francisco... Um, the idea kind of morphed into a, a larger boat trip. And so that's where we purchased the boat and, and started sailing south. Okay. So you got the boat in the, the Bay Area. What's the yep, name of your yep. boat? Uh, Resolute. Resolute. Oh, well, that makes sense. <laughs> and what kind of boat is Resolute? She's a Cascade 36. Okay. She, yes. she looks very, on the video, she looks very warm. <laughs> yeah, you got the little pilot house, and uh, well, I guess it's a hard dodger, and then we have uh, a nice little diesel stove in there. So, yeah, she's a, a real rugged boat. She's not very wide. She's only 10 feet, so for a 36-foot boat, she's pretty slender. And she also, the previous owners had taken her around the world over nine years, so we got her in pretty rough shape you know i mean a boat going around the world it takes a lot out of them so we had a, a lot of work cut out for us when we first got her to, to get her back into cruising shape and uh what kind of work did you do on her just about everything <laughs> uh we pretty much touched every system on her replaced it repaired it we did a lot of cosmetic things just bottom paint a lot of fiberglass work on the underside uh propeller alignment nearly rebuilt everything on the engine, all new electronics, new rigging, redid the, the uh, standing rigging, a lot of the running rigging, went through all the wiring, uh, rebuilt like water maker, fuel system, heating system, plumbing, <laughs> and then painted the top sides. How long did that take you to do that? It was a year long, pretty much working a lot on it. Okay, and you had a, a you both had other jobs too, right? Right. Yeah, I was uh, I was working full time in the Bay Area, and Eric was looking at spring, which was really helpful getting the boat set up to go. Okay, and you guys don't have any videos of kind of your uh, getting ready for the trip. You, your first or 
Am I wrong about that? No, no, you're right. And yeah, it was, um, we kind of did some filming in the beginning, but we never had intended on starting. Like we didn't set out thinking, oh, we're going to do this YouTube channel. So the first episode, I don't know if like when you watch through them, it's pretty obvious in the first one that it, I, I, I feel it's kind of a hodgepodge of a lot of different um, scenes and not like a clear episode. <laughs> so that was sort of us just starting a video, um, deciding we would, we would continue with it. Well, you know what? I was really impressed. I, I watched the first video and I, you know, it did skip a lot, but I was really impressed at how steady your camera was and the colors that you got that you did a really good job of just really bringing out the colors and the beauty of the locations. And I was just like, I was really struck by, you said, oh, we're in eight foot seas right now. And the camera did not move. It was just constant. And I I just couldn't believe how that, (laughs) how you guys did that. You must have tied it down somewhere or something. Oh, you can thank Canon for that. And uh, maybe some steady hand work. Yeah, but yeah, I'm sure I'm sure there's plenty of, of uh, people that wouldn't even believe us. I suppose. Well, it sounded like uh, you had a lot of kind of, you know, maybe not dangerous but difficult outings uh, when you were going along the California coast. That... Yeah, we had some some mess ups for sure. Uh, we were just kind of talking about what it broke on the way down. And we, we were constantly dealing with, like, uh, engine malfunctions in the fuel system, and I had to bleed it a lot, and it would always die at the most inopportune moments, close to land or pulling into a harbor or something. So that was always on the back of our mind. We ended up doing mostly sailing and sailing on and off anchor a lot just because we didn't trust the motor. What else did we Yeah, have? I mean, I would say when we first bought our first cruising boat, which is a 30-foot boat, uh, we... We got towed a lot. <laughs> Our best investment was a towboat US uh, membership for one hundred and fifty dollars per year. Absolutely, we we used those as well for um, got towed back to the dock in San Francisco time, and uh, we've had to deliver fuel to us. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you're running low on fuel. You're more likely to get a kind of an engine dying problem because of a dirty yeah. tank so yeah so you guys had the idea of going to mexico first and you spent a lot of time in mexico where did where all the places did you go uh we started uh, just down the west coast of mexico and went into the sea of cortez uh, for the summer and just worked our way up the west coast of baja and just had an amazing experience there it just felt like the beginning kind of our our cruising experience with the warm water and just beautiful amazing secluded beaches it was a pretty magical time and then during hurricane season uh last year we headed farther north into the sea uh where it was a little bit more protected and actually hung out in Guaymas there and did a lot of engine work. We hung out at a marina and uh, actually bought an air conditioner just for the month because it was so hot and, uh, and just did a bunch of work on the boat that needed to be done to continue cruising. 
did a lot of work there in Guaymas. Is that how you pronounce it? Yeah, I think that's how we heard most of the locals pronounce it, is like Guaymas. Okay. <laughs> and uh, was did that go okay or not so well? or? Yeah, yeah, we managed to do everything we wanted. That's actually where we edited the first video as well, because um, we had a lot of time. We were um, working on the boat and, and kind of in the AC, and we walk around town and uh, get into little adventures with with the, the area, and we did a little volunteering at uh, the local soup kitchen and things like that just to try to get more involved in the community. Um, and that all went really well, but we had a couple kind of tropical storm scares that made us realize that we weren't in a very safe place still. So we headed farther north in the sea up to um, Puerto Don Juan, which is on the Baja side. Um, well, I don't know how, maybe a three or 400 miles north. So we just had to cross the sea. It was like a, a two-day sail, two or three-day sail. I mean, it seems like, you know, whenever I go to the NOAA website, I see like another tropical storm or hurricane aimed at the Baja Peninsula. Yeah. <laughs> it seems like a very active region to me. It, it is. It's quite, it's, everybody definitely talks about it there. And we were actually really saddened to hear about, um, I'm blanking on the name of the, the hurricane that just recently hit the San Carlos Guaymas area. Newton? Yeah, Hurricane Newton, um, which is, I mean, it took out the dock that we were staying at and a lot of the boats that we'd met and made good friends with their boats actually winded up sinking oh well louisiana is not the safest place to keep a boat either so no. <laughs> definitely not all right so then you guys got your work done and uh did you go up the baja the, the gulf of california or did you go back down after that yeah, so from Porto Don Juan, which is about two-thirds of the Peninsula, we headed south there and went down to Mazatlan and had some friends visit there. We went there for a few weeks, uh, dodged another tropical storm there, and then from there headed south. How far south did we make it? With the we made it to Manzanilla? La Manzanilla, La Manzanilla, just north of... Manzanillo. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, which was a couple hundred miles south of Puerto Vallarta. It was yeah. as far south as we made it in Mexico. And then from there, we headed back up uh, to Puerto Vallarta to get the boat ready to do the crossing, which was a lot more work. We needed to add a wind vane and all kinds of stuff. Right. <laughs> we spent a lot of time there uh, getting the boat ready for the to make sure we felt comfortable to do the crossing. How, how did you guys find getting parts in Mexico? Was that okay? Like getting maybe the wind vane shipped in? How did you do it? Uh, so, yeah, that's a tricky uh, thing to do. And there's really no, like, chandleries or anything in most of Mexico. Puerto um, Vallarta area does have some, but they have sort of the basics. And, like, a wind vane, that was... Um, like, you don't really want to ship anything into Mexico because you pay a pretty hefty customs fee and it can take months to clear. Uh, so we ended up actually, Megan flew back to Florida. We had it shipped to her mom's house 
and then she flew back across with the the wind vane and a couple other things we'd ordered. It was just easier to do it that way. That's my favorite way of bringing in parts. Yeah, parts muling. Yeah, that, yeah that's, I guess that's the, 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 the way to call it. <laughs> I've not heard that phrase, but that's pretty fun. Sometimes it goes well, sometimes it doesn't, but it's probably better than shipping it. Yeah, yeah. We were told plenty of horror stories of, of people not even getting their parts and having them shipped back. You got the boat ready and you sailed to Hawaii. And that was, uh, when was that? When you sailed to Hawaii? We left on May 25th. Okay, May 25th. And then we arrived. Okay. And you left the Golden Gate. When was that? In February of the previous year. So February 2015? Yes. Yep, that sounds right. Okay. All right. We left kind of 100 miles outside of Hilo, Hawaii. You eventually got some wind and uh, went into port there. Is that right? Uh, Yeah. So, right, the wind came back. And one of the things that is kind of challenging with our boat, we only carry 30 gallons of diesel in a tank and then 20 more gallons in jerry cans so with 50 gallons total we have a range of like just over 450 miles about thereabouts at this point we had used a lot of the fuel because we'd been becalmed that first week so you know much to everybody's disappointment even though we could practically smell land we didn't have enough fuel to uh just motor the rest of the way and then get it safely into port. So right. we we bobbed around for a while, and then, yeah, the wind filled in. We had a great spinnaker run around the north side of um, Molokai, and we actually made landfall in Honolulu. Okay, so yeah, I think I've heard that maybe Hilo doesn't have a good harbor. Is that right? Yeah, Hilo actually had an excellent harbor, and it's really protected, and that's one of the spots that you can check in at. But because of our dog, we actually had to check in in Honolulu, because there's all kinds of requirements to bring a dog into Hawaii. It's not an easy process, so that's actually why we went all the way to Honolulu. Oh, that's funny. You would think, you you know, as Americans, you wouldn't have any trouble bringing your dog back to the U.S. <laughs> Oh, I wish it was that easy. Yeah, it was so yeah. easy to get into Mexico, but not into Hawaii. What did they require? Um, it's mainly because it's, uh, the state of Hawaii is rabies-free. Right. Um, so it's a blood test, and then I think it's like a six-month six month waiting period after that. Um, and then a couple of fines, and then... Or, um, cost to get her into the state and then actually um, when you come in from the airport they actually have an airport like staging facility so um, if you don't do all the requirements beforehand you can uh, <laughs> if you don't do all the requirements beforehand you can just have your animal in quarantine um, but since we did we jumped through all their hoops before we got there so Nika just had to be in court they just um they picked her up from the boat, and then four hours later, she was released. Because I believe, oh, I can't remember how long the quarantine is, if not, but I think it's three months. Okay. So you guys had to get a rabies uh, a rabies test six months in advance. Is that it? A blood test? I think that's what it was. It was a long time ago. We actually got it back um, when we were in California. 
so yeah there was a few tests that she had to go through and then the results of that were sent to Hawaii and there was a waiting period and before uh, the animal could enter Hawaii and then um, if you don't if the animal doesn't enter within three years then you have to redo the test oh my <laughs> it sounds sounds very difficult what were the fees associated with that I don't recall I think when we totaled it all up we decided it was somewhere around a thousand when you added all the vet bills the testing the blood work and then the miscellaneous like you know there might have been like a hundred bucks once you were there I, I can't recall everything yeah I think it was two I want to say it was about 250 dollars just the just the quarantine um, and fee process. But yeah, the vet bills um, beforehand also added up. So yeah, probably somewhere between 700 and $1,000 all said and done. So your dog was also quarantined? Is that what you said? Three months of quarantine? No, so if you don't, if you don't have all your paperwork in order, um, then, then you get the dog has to go through quarantine. But if you do, they still, they still have to go through the quarantine facility but our dog Nika was only there for four hours. They just kind of have to be checked in. They give them a health checkup, a health certificate while they're there. You get a vet to come in and do that, and then they're free to go. So it wasn't it wasn't very long. Okay, well that's good. Uh, six six months is a long time in dog years. Oh yeah, exactly. Yeah, especially yeah. after a month on a boat. Yeah, <laughs> it was probably a lot four hours for her, but uh, okay. What, what kind of dog is Nika? A Catahoula? Catahoula. Oh, well, that's like a Louisiana dog. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's a pretty big dog, right? Yeah, it's she's 60, about 65 pounds. Okay. All right. And I guess she's pretty used to the boat now? Yeah, she was, um, she was incredibly adept at getting uh, used to the, the liveaboard lifestyle, going to beaches every day, and... Uh, walking around town and exploring places. Um, we uh, we actually lost her in Hawaii uh, to cancer uh, pretty soon after. Oh, that's so awful. I'm so sorry. Yeah, yeah, that was a tough hit. <laughs> well, and I guess you're not thinking of another dog right now? No, no, yeah. it's we're, it will, It'll take a while to recover from, from losing her. Yeah. And it's... Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. Definitely. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Couldn't imagine losing daily, but I know that day will come. I've got a four-pound toy poodle sailed everywhere oh, with me. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, it's great having a dog on board. You know, they make the sailing a lot more enjoyable and get you out. You know, we noticed in Mexico we would sit in an anchorage, and if there was other boaters around, we might not see them you know, getting off their boats sometimes and rowing to shore pretty much at least twice a day. And I think it got us out exploring a lot, a lot of these um, areas. And, and it's also a great sort of uh, icebreaker with, with local people. If you have a dog, they just like want to pet it and, you know, talk Definitely. about it. So that was really a great way to, to cruise with, we thought, having her around. Yeah. All right. Where did you go in Hawaii? We, so we spent, ooh, I don't know, in total, I think we were in the islands for about three months. And we, the, the right way to do Hawaii is to, I think, enter Hilo. And then you kind of check out the other islands going with the trade winds. 
Um, but like we said, we had to go to Honolulu, which meant that to see the rest of the islands, we had to bash into the trade winds. So we left Oahu and uh, headed over to like Molokai, Lanai, Maui, and then finally the big island. Well, I really loved my visit uh, by plane to Honolulu last year, or I guess this, maybe last January of this year. I just loved the hiking there. What kind of things did you guys do while you were there? What was your A favorite island? <laughs> we uh, did plenty of snorkeling, never got the dive gear out, did a little surfing, and then, yeah, we went on a couple good, good hikes. There's some great sort of rainforest hikes. And once we got to the big island, we explored it by park for about a week, which I think was sort of the highlight for us to be able to, uh, ex- you know, get back on land and, and get to these places real quickly and go and see kind of the highlands and the volcanoes and, and uh, do things that way. Yeah, because a lot of the anchorages we found there there were a lot of roadstead anchorages, so we didn't necessarily feel comfortable leaving the boat for so, for too long, so we kind of stuck close to the coast and close to the boat. Uh, so it was really nice in Hilo, because in Reed's Bay, it is just so protected and so bomb-proof that we felt very comfortable leaving the boat for a week and just really got to, got to get in there and explore and do more of that hiking and inland stuff. It was really cool. Is there even marinas in uh, many of these islands? So I'm sure there's there's some in Honolulu I saw. I don't know if they had transient slips or not, but if you wanted it and had the budget to do it, could people do that in many of the islands? In Honolulu, um, there is quite a bit of space for transients, uh, especially at Alawai Harbor. But we found on the other islands, there's not a whole lot of room uh, for transients the marinas. The marinas are pretty full, and there's not a whole lot of them. But certainly, if you had the budget, I think that's a good option. Yeah, you could probably figure it out. Yeah. What What is uh, the the good time to cruise the Hawaiian island? What's the best time of uh, year? So during the summer, the trades are usually in full force. So you cruise south side of the islands, which is the dry side. And there's not a lot of opportunity to get your boat around to the north side, which is all the cool rainforest anchorages and things like that. So, and then you're also contending with, you're in a hurricane track during this, you always have to be kind of conscious of your escape plan. So those is in that sense. And then in the winter, the winds go away, more or less they die a lot. So you can go to the north side, but you have to really watch the, uh, the big north swell coming out of the, the Gulf of Alaska. And what, we weren't there during the winter, but we heard a lot of people talk about, you know, in as little as like half an hour, you could be sitting at a calm north anchorage and the next thing you like 20 foot breakers behind you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, I guess uh, Hawaii does have a reputation for big waves, right? Big breaking waves. Yeah, certainly. <laughs> it's, a, it's a challenging place to cruise, we found. Compared to Mexico, it was a lot. Like in Mexico, you can find a really good all-weather anchorage and feel comfortable leaving the boat and going to shore. And in Hawaii, we were always kind of on edge with either port holding uh, and and completely exposed in one or more directions. And 
so that was, that was a real challenging part of it. And then the winds are also really intense in Hawaii. So it's a great, if you want to get some heavy weather, uh, practice and see some, you know, zero to 40 and, and then back down to eight and back up to 45 <laughs> all in half an hour, you can, you can get pretty much all that sailing around Hawaii. <laughs> Well, that doesn't sound too fun, but... <laughs> yeah. We learned a lot, though. We learned so much. Yeah. It's, hard. <laughs> it's like boot camp, really, for uh, getting reefing in and out constantly and, and being real conscious of what's up ahead and the, what are the waves are doing and everything. Yeah. Okay. I want to ask you about the anchoring a little more. So yeah. are, are the anchorages really deep or not so deep? What, what kind of depths are typical? Um, I'd say anywhere from like 40 feet to 15, really. Um, and summer sand, uh, you're almost always contending with some sort of coral head in the area. So you want to be sure to kind of avoid that and then potentially rocks. And some of the anchorages were like a real thin dusting of sand, uh, with probably some sort of rock below it so you could never get a solid set in fact that was uh, Lahaina in, off Maui the west end of Maui is really the first place that we've ever drug our anchor and that was that was sort of indicative of just like how we were not very comfortable leaving the boat for real long and it was it you know you think it was just the bottom you think it was just a dusting of sand was the problem yeah yeah I ended up um diving the anchor afterwards and, and it wasn't like a typical day i mean it was a good 24 hours plus of 50 55 knots oh so well i would think that would test <laughs> most anchors <laughs> yeah yeah it was it was certainly a, a pretty good blow and we drug about 100 feet uh just plowing through the sand and yeah it seemed like there was not if the anchor couldn't dive we're really happy we have a, a big old rock now on the front uh and all a chain road and that thing's been incredible throughout everywhere that we've been and even up here in alaska since then but we definitely drug that day <laughs> how much chain do you have i believe it's about well, I don't believe it. it's it's 230 feet. Well, that's a lot. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's a lot. And then I we've got more um, rope road and things that we can tie on at the end if we really needed to let it out a bunch. And do you just do you just have a primary setup or you have a secondary ready to go with the road setup? We have setup? a secondary on a roller, but no road attached to it. So we would have to um, just okay. get something up there on the foredeck in a hurry and, and let it go but our primary is also our storm anchor it's just a real big big rock nut okay all right so the let's see you know worries me about the north pacific is i i heard and maybe this is wrong that there's no hurricane season that the hurricanes can hit any time but maybe they're more <laughs> likely in part of the year uh i yeah, like, are you talking way north Pacific, like Gulf of Alaska, or, or just the... Maybe. I, I, you know, I think I was listening to a book written by somebody who did uh, was a skipper of the Clipper Round the World race, and I think they were pretty yeah. far north. Yeah. <laughs> it's certainly 
There's, yeah, I mean, I guess you have the hurricane, the true hurricanes in the summer for sure. And then once winter hits, the North, North Pacific is, they don't call them hurricanes, but hurricane force cyclones crossing the Gulf. So yeah, there's really no perfectly safe time. <laughs> okay. All right. So you were there for three months. You got there in May. So you left sometime in July. Is that right? We're doing the math here. We left September 1st, September 7th. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, September 1st we left. No, no, no. August 1st. August 1st. <laughs> we okay. had, a, we so, had a, go, a go by date that if we couldn't get everything taken care of and um, okay. we had a lot of malfunctions on the crossing, if we couldn't get the boat ready, and, and which seems to be the story of our cruising at least, is fixing <laughs> boat stuff. But uh, if we couldn't get it all taken care of by the 1st, we would have to leave the boat and um, continue at a different time but we managed to leave Hawaii exactly on the 1st yeah because we wanted to get up before October 1st because the storms really start to pick up uh, end of September October so we knew we needed to be here beginning of September okay so if you'd like to hear the rest of that interview including their epic trip to Sitka Alaska from Hawaii and also about uh, the Resolute's cruise plans, Alaska, and their future cruising plans. The episode 30 bonus episode available only to patrons pledging on patreon.com slash slowboatsailing. Check out all three of my books, Slow Boat to the Bahamas, How to Sail Around the World, Part-Time, and Slow Boat to Cuba. All three have been number one bestsellers on the Amazon sailing category. Or ebook. Goodbye from the middle of the South Pacific Ocean. This is Linus Wilson encouraging you to have some fun on the water. Hi, I'm Jana Wilson. Thank you for listening to the Slow Boat Sailing Podcast. Subscribe to our free newsletter at slowboatsailing.com.